0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Fanalytics Podcast. Mike Lewis and Doug Battle coming to you today. Doug, you know it's the uh, college football, NFL, fo- it's football season, right? Oh yeah, yes it is. But you know Doug, today the U.S. Senate has relaxed their dress code to allow... Is that why you're not wearing sleeves? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, to allow, it's, it's related, right? It's to allow... John Fetterman to wear hoodies and shorts on the Senate floor. I've also spent the weekend and spent, you know, some time this morning watching the Pat McAfee show. And uh, I mean, he's, he's, I've never seen that dude wear sleeves. I mean, that's not true, but that guy nice. seldom wears sleeves. And it, I don't know. I mean, it, it struck me as like a at least a little bit of an interesting phenomena in terms of You know, turning things like the dress code off, changing the tone of everything. I mean, what I want to talk about first is a little bit about sports journalism, because I think that's, that's, it's one of the more interesting things that's going on as we start these, you know, the college and the professional football schedules. But are you, if you were a Senator, Senator Battle, Congressman Battle, I think you're a suit and tie guy, aren't you? I'm certainly a suit and tie
1: guy. My grandfather was a congressman. Suit and tie in every picture. Gotta gotta follow the family legacy there. But you know, I I do think we've made progress as a country. When I was in high school, we had it would have felt like progress to be able to wear jeans to school (laughs) in my school. So wearing a hoodie to the Senate, that's that's big time. It feels like oh yeah, that's progress, Mike. (laughs) It's like progress in the opposite direction of things being more sophisticated. I feel it's like our whole society's moved in that direction. Like the way people talk, uh, the things, the music we enjoy. And, and I do too. I feel like
0: we're moving back to some, the, the tattoos that people have. We're moving back yeah. to a sort of tribal past. It's a less sophisticated time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which might be good for some of us. Now as a, you know, my day job as a professor at the business school, at the Goizueta school of business ranked number 15 in some summer ranking that came out this week, Bloom, Bloomberg Business Week. Right, yeah. Doug, can I teach a class sleeveless this upcoming semester? Mike, you're tenured. <laughs> you could teach a class shirtless.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. That's, that's been well established. There will be one class taught sleeveless this upcoming semester as soon as the weather breaks, I believe. Okay. Now, Doug, <laughs> in terms of sports journalism, so a big story in college football has of course been Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes. And, you know, one of the side notes of that has been every week the opposing coach almost gets suckered into saying something. And, and I use that, I use that term intentionally, you know, that, I, that I think the journalists try and get them, you know, try and get them a little wound up so they can say something. So there's some bulletin board material and, you know, off to the races. You know, the, the Jay Norville, Colorado State, made a comment about sunglasses and Deion Sanders' sunglass business sold $1.2 million worth of product. Yep. Now, you know, you get into a feud with Deion Sanders, you're going to lose, right? Because Dion can find his way onto all the ESPN morning shows. He can get... The Rock to essentially show up in Colorado, Boulder, Colorado for a game. I'm going to ask you a question, straight straight shoot. How big of a deal is this guy Little Wayne? Because they kept showing the camera on him. <laughs> is that a big deal? The way he said it, I thought it was going to be someone like obscure.
1: Yeah, he's a pretty big deal. He's, okay, uh, a lot of people have him top top ten all
0: time. Okay, so sports media again. I'm going to go on record as saying Colorado's the ultimate. Will ultimately, you know, is not going to be a big winner out of all this. Uh, you know, that I'll, I'll put that stake in the ground. Colorado's not gonna. This is it, gonna, would be if they were selling the sunglasses. Yeah, okay, Bookster. but you know, this is going to be a blip for Colorado. Ton of excitement, the center of the college football world, the rock on campus, Little Wayne. This is gold for ESPN. I, I think I sent you one of those Instagram videos where they had this shot of the Arizona fans watching the Colorado game yeah. on their phones. So this is this is show business at the at this point. This is a spectacular, right? It, it's, it's, if Logan Paul or jo, uh, Jake Paul was programming college football, we would have The Rock. We would have Lil Wayne. We would have Deion Sanders. We would have Shador Sanders showing people his jeweled watch at the end of games, we would do all of this. Are you still loving it?
1: I personally am (laughs) over it and have been, but I got to like objectively look at it and be like, this is fun. You know, it's fun to have these almost like, like wrestling, like rivalries. Can I I
0: add to that? A hundred percent. I agree with
1: you. This is totally fun. (laughs) Like, like personally, I'm like, I'm sick of people pretending that Colorado is like, gonna win a national championship or something but from an entertainment standpoint it's fun and like i know i know people that every week like some of my guy friends who aren't necessarily into college football like i am as far as religiously following one team they flip on the colorado game every week like that's america's team right now and it's like a much larger version of app state this time last year uh we talked about them on the podcast and they had a little run and, and some exciting games but with Colorado, it almost feels scripted in the sense that I'm not, again. I'm not saying that it is, but watching the last two weeks, like to me, there was never any question as to who was going to win the game. And the game, you know, from a gambling standpoint, probably was undecided until the final. I mean, over double overtime this go around, but it just felt like the storyline is going to be, you know, these guys come out on top. They said some mean things. We took it personally. We go and win, and I think. Where the story gets interesting. It's much like kind of the Logan Paul fighting situation where everyone's kind of waiting for them to lose, like maybe not pulling against Colorado. But how does this go? I mean, Dan Lanning said some things about Colorado in the offseason, very uncharacteristic of a Kirby Smart disciple, you know, from the ultimately from the Nick Saban coaching tree, typically only saying good things about opponents, nothing inflammatory, and comes out and says, you know, what's Colorado ever done? And the offseason, well, guess what? Deion Sanders, guess how he's going to take that? He's going to take it personally. And, so, and his players are going to take it personally. And so, you know, I think Colorado getting their first big test this week is going to be – I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know what the game day situation is, but I wouldn't be surprised if they get it again, whether it's this week or the USC game. And, yeah, I mean, I think that – I'm interested to see how they handle losing.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the game is – so right now it's you know it's a three thirty p.m. game on ABC. It's in Oregon. So I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, game day is probably going to Notre Dame, Ohio State. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot that was this week too. Yeah. But, uh, no, but you know what? I bet you. I bet you. There's people that in in that decision making room that are kind of going, yeah. But you know, we go to Oregon, and like I said, he got he, he had the rock there. I mean, w- w- you know, suddenly yeah. being changes everything in terms of, you know, whoever the biggest stars in music and entertainment are want to touch that program at the moment. And, and you know, a part of it is like they're playing Oregon, who's ranked number 10. This might be the final week of the of the magic show. Right. Well, it's. crude.
1: Yeah, there there is a little bit of. I mean, it's like a it's like when a boxer's undefeated, where it kind of loses its uh, excitement or hype once once there is that loss. And so, I mean, I don't think it's the final week, no matter what happens. But I do think that it's hype is at an all time high right now. I don't know if it'll ever be more than this, unless of course they beat Oregon, which would which I think is possible. And and you know the way that things go in the Pac twelve.
0: Doug, what percentage of college of casual college football fans? and University of Colorado students believe that they're winning a national championship this year?
1: Colorado students, there yeah. might be a solid 15%. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, maybe higher. I mean, I, I've heard people say some things where it's yeah. like you you clearly haven't watched. Like, To be fair, though, I don't know if anyone's actually good this year. You know, Texas was supposed to be the best team after beating Alabama, and they were in a tight ball game in the fourth quarter against Wyoming before pulling away. Alabama didn't look so hot. So it's like, maybe Texas isn't all that good. You know, Ohio state's looked shaky at times. Georgia's looked shaky at times. Michigan looks solid, but they've historically, there's kind of this like hesitation with them to think that they're going to really do it in the postseason. And so, you know, if there ever was a year for a team kind of out of nowhere, I know a lot of people are talking about Washington right now. There ever was a team, a year for a team out of nowhere to do something special, I think it's this year. I just would expect it to be like a Notre Dame or or a Washington or an Oregon or, or one of these schools, even USC, like schools that haven't been in the playoff but that are have had the resources to build rosters that can compete with the Alabamas of the world.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. There's not enough. Like we're only three weeks in, but there haven't been a lot yeah. of key matchups. So there are no real great bodies of work yet. And yeah. I, I agree with you. No one... No one seems to have separated themselves. Now, yeah. you know, part of that can be almost related to the Colorado story—that all eyes are focused on Colorado and Deion Sanders. I mean, even the—I mean, it's kind of interesting watching those games where <clears throat> Dion is in a fair number of commercials at this point. The uh, <laughs> flat, yeah, this uh, almond commercial—have you seen that? I feel like I, I feel like he's become.
1: Peyton, I mean, what the, Peyton Manning once was where it's like I, I get it mixed up because there's so many commercials
0: with a very different tone I mean the almond oh yeah of course are so leaning into this that you know again it'll be it, you're right it is a lot of fun I mean it is the most fun thing happening in sports media at the moment I just wonder if it's a thing that's happening in sports media more than it's happening on the field
1: Right. And that's my, that's my impression. But I mean, I do think like, I think Travis Hunter's maybe one, you know, a top five player in the country. And I think that. Well, maybe
0: out for a couple of weeks, I think. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, either- that lacerated liver. I think it's lacerated oh. liver out for three weeks or so. So that doesn't bode well for them. And I do want to counter you, Mike, about one thing. And it's that Colorado doesn't benefit from this. Like, or it's just a blip for them. My thinking with sports is that we're always like everybody's building toward what Alabama has or has had or what Georgia currently has or, you know, to kind of have this longevity, if you will. But more often than not, success in sports is really one special year. And you look at Auburn, like Cam Newton came for one year. It's like, was that a blip for them? No, they still talk about that. Like, that's what they will always remember. That's where their memories are. Are you know the the core of their memories and the core of their experience and their fandom is rooted in that one special season with Cam Newton. And I did think about a, like Doug. Did they win a national title with Cam? They did. Yeah, okay. they did. That's the one. That's the one. The one thing that I don't see happening. Well, let me.
0: Let me. I'll, let me. Before you finish, let me throw in something, and then you can sort of weave my experience into where you going. Because yeah. look, you definitely got a point. So Ron Zook came to the Fighting Illini after some terrible seasons from Ron Turner. And suddenly he's bringing in Aurelius Ben and uh, you know got, you know top twenty recruits and you know all these guys out of Maryland from I think Mike Loxley was his name but now the Maryland coach <sighs> really a different level of athlete and you know they had some decent years and you know Doug they were a lot of fun you know like nine mm-hmm. and three going to the Rose Bowl getting destroyed I think by a USC <laughs> team that year yeah but where I contrast it is that you know. In parallel to, let's say, Illinois, the Iowas and the Wisconsins of the world always seem to have those those roadmaps of bringing these uh, big old boys, grow them up for five years, grind it out on the ground, go nine and three every year where, you know, we had a little bit of Hollywood with Zook. Clearly not the Dion, Tom Deion Sanders. Deion Thomasville mm-hmm. like, great. Mm-hmm. Deion Sanders stuff. But, uh, you know, I wonder if it set back Illinois in terms of, you know you know what I'm saying? Do these things end up being a setback rather than part of a slow build? And, and look, you are 100% right. There's a lot of teams out there where the slow build never happens. So that is just kind of the, you know. I think the-
1: Colorado might be one of those programs where it's like the best thing. Like would Virginia kill to have a year like this and to be in the spotlight like this for a year? I think at Georgia basketball, I mean, this is kind of what I was hoping the year where Anthony Edwards was on the roster was going to be. And like at the professional level, I remember thinking, I mean, in retrospect, it's like Kawhi Leonard to the Raptors for a season. Kind of feels like a blip on the radar in his career. But that's the only championship
0: they've ever won. And I don't want to get too far afield, but, you know, Georgia hired a guy named Tom Crean, who I believe believe was recruited Edwards, right? That's right. Yep. And, And, you know, Tom Crean, you know, they used to joke about him in the Big Ten as like that he would cream players to get removed from a roster was to be creamed, And, and so does that set back, you know, is that temporary fun a positive or is it a negative because the program is left in, and again, you're a hundred percent right. It's like the counterfactual, the program that Ron Zook came into was in shambles, right? And the program that Ron Le- Zook left was sort of in shambles. So does it potentially matter but they went to a Rose ball. okay yeah, Doug, I think I think with, Tom
1: Crane is a great example
0: <laughs> say what I'm with you you talked me into it I talked to
1: you well yeah I mean I don't know I it's like I can see the other side too so it's just another another perspective to consider but you know the whole the whole thing with Colorado just makes me wonder when I see Deion Sanders up on stage on college game day leading the crowd and and chants about how this is personal It's not different. It's not too different from watching a certain political figure garner passion from fans based on personality and based on just kind of... There's something spectacular or obscene or, or, I I don't know, just something jarring about some of these figures that have this cult-like following that that generate true fandom. And, I mean, you probably or picking up what I'm putting down in terms of politics. But I, I, part of me watches it and is like, if if Deion Sanders, instead of deciding to... be
0: line, a, wrestling, a rock wrestling line?
1: Picking up what I'm putting down? Oh, I don't know. I okay. Don't know. But, you know, I feel like Deion's one of those guys. If he had decided to be a rapper, he would have been incredibly successful because he but if you decide to be the president of the United States or to run for that i think right now he'd have a lot of people fired up about him like he just has yeah. that charisma that generates passion amongst a lot of people and that's what we're seeing and it like i said it feels like a cult like like it, we use the term cult falling but it genuinely feels like a cult when there's these like practices of labeling everything instead of fake news, it's, you know, in this, in this sense, it's, you know, what's his term that he uses? It's personal. Everything's personal. And he has, and everyone now wears the sunglasses. Like, it's not, it, it just reminds me of that so much. And so just one of those figures in the world who, for whatever reason, strikes a chord with a lot of people.
0: Yeah, and it's, you know, I, th- I think one of the tough things on this kind of stuff is, you know, when we use the word charisma, and yeah, it's kind of a tough questions like, are the charismatics really that different or are they the ones that sort of are built up and constructed? Right. So Dion, look, Dion can attract the rock. The rock might be the biggest star in America. You know, Dion can go live. Dion probably only needs to make a phone call and he can go on with Stephen a Smith. Right. Oh yeah. He's starting from a plat, you know, what, what was the coach's name? Jay Norvell, I think from Colorado state. Mm -hmm. Yep. I don't think he got the invitation to first take. I don't think he don't got think the he, to come on sure. to game day, right?
1: I don't know if they ever talked about Colorado State leading up to that game. It was like, it reminded me of like the Harlem Globetrotters against the Generals, where all the focus is on the Globetrotters. And it's like, you don't even care who the other team is or who their players are or any of that. They don't really matter. And that's again where I said it felt kind of scripted in the sense that it never felt like Colorado State was a real team with a real chance of doing anything. They were just kind of there to create adversity for this Colorado team whose story we're all following yeah. as a country. And I do think like you, you talk about the media, I think that has a lot to do with it. Like, you know, I was touching on politics, Donald Trump, like when he was running the first time, you know, 2016, it felt like he, he had so much more access to the media than those he was running against. And I'm talking about in the primary and that's how it feels for Deion sanders it feels like you know colorado state what's this guy like he could be a really good coach their coach i have no idea you know but but all cameras are on Deion sanders and he's the one he's the personality that draws the cameras draws the media and ultimately you know is is a star and has created a huge obviously name for himself but also in the short term for colorado football as well as you know a couple of those players
0: (coughs) yeah i mean so you know we we talked about you know, sometimes we declare winners of seasons or early parts of seasons. Deion Sanders in Colorado football has won the first quarter of the college football season. without. Yeah, I would say Texas, up- is, Texas is pretty
1: pretty up there, too. They're back, even yeah. though part of me thought... I said last week that it would be so Texas to turn around and lose a game to... I think I said, like, a Kansas or something. Part of me in that Wyoming game, when it was 10-10, going into the fourth, it was like, this is it. This is where Texas <laughs> isn't back. They've done it so many times. But they live to die another day.
0: Yeah, I mean, I sometimes I don't know how people really keep up with college football because there's so many, there's so many games. I watched a very disappointing Illinois Penn State game. I'll tell you the game that I really enjoyed was, and it's kind of you know reminiscent of last year, sort of a mini version was uh, Florida taking it to Tennessee and seeing the swamp. Absolutely rocking was again, you know, I think, you know, some of these things are so good for college football, you know, Florida being up there, Tennessee, Tennessee, Florida being a marquee matchup. God, that's, that's something college football really can benefit from. But that, you know, that level of passion in the swamp was special to see.
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think that you know, had Florida not lost to Utah Week One, we would be talking about is Florida back? <laughs> is Florida? Uh, are they right there? Are they going to? Are they going to win the East this year? You know, are they going to make the SEC championship, which is still in play for them? They haven't lost an SEC game, but it's funny how those Week One games kind of skew perception. Like you write a team off, but then later in the season when they start playing well, you kind of dismiss that first game, like. Oh, that was just week one. They just, they had only had three weeks of practice. They weren't as far along as some other teams, but that it's a different football team now. And so I think that, you know, I think like a team like Alabama will have the chance. Of course, their Texas loss wasn't week one. It was week two, but later in the season, be able to kind of pull that argument. I think that Florida can pull that argument with the Utah game and, you know, oh, even Clemson, God. I think could, could let's, go on a roll.
0: They mentioned Alabama. So let's stay there for a second. Yep. <sighs> Look, you know that per- mostly I'm just here for the stories, and suddenly Alabama has turned into a really interesting story, right? They've tried three guys at quarterback. They don't seem particularly happy with. No one has really set themselves apart, and now Alabama <clears throat> is going to play Old Miss, ranked number thirteen, with Old Miss I think ranked number fifteen or sixteen. Ooh. Suddenly, Bama's thirteen. And suddenly, yeah, Bama's thirteen. And suddenly, now Ole Miss probably always has this game circled, and now they've gone in the, and they've like outlined it, you know. And then they've outlined it again in red. <laughs> you know, this is a moment. It, it's almost like you know the feeding frenzy could start, where it's like, uh, you know, big I mean, like this is Ole Miss biggest, biggest game of the year, right? Yeah, Attached I think Bama's right? everyone's biggest game yeah. of
1: the year on their schedule, and. I wish I felt good about it for Ole Miss. I, I watched Bama this week. They looked horrible. It was really fun for everyone but Alabama fans. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've been saying this whole time, all they got to do is run the ball. They run for like like the Texas game. It felt like they were running for 10 yards of carry. And then when they, they got behind and they got in passing situations and couldn't throw the football without turning it over, which made matters worse. But the, it sounds like they're putting Milrow back at QB1. Milrow, I compared him to Anthony Richardson a week ago. He might be the best athlete in the country. He's just decision making is slow and and questionable at the very least in terms of when and where he throws the football. And so it's if Alabama can find a way to simplify it for him or to run the ball a lot more and take advantage of their massive offensive line, who who has a hard time pass protecting but does a great job run blocking. I think that, you know, they they Are a very dangerous team that has been written off. But nonetheless, I mean, there is this kind of, the stories that the wheels are falling off in Tuscaloosa, and if they were to lose (laughs) a second consecutive game at home against Ole Miss, second consecutive home loss after not losing a home game since Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M like 10 years ago or whenever that was, you know, the story, I mean, the wheels will fall off at that point. Okay. You will have, there will be guys entering the transfer portal midseason, So it's but a just, pivotal game for that program.
0: I'm just going to laugh, though. I mean, the idea of the wheels falling off, and 100%, that's what the story is. And I yeah. love the story. I'm on record. I love the story. But Alabama probably still has 30 future pros on that roster.
1: They have the best roster in the country. It's no. not even in question.
0: Yeah. And, and and so can the wheels fall off Ever really and so you know alabama could be one of these you know again journalists get get over to tuscaloosa and sort of go in depth on that story i mean i, I mean you know this kind of last time i think uh saban had a quarterback controversy
1: well coker coker they won thinking, the national title
0: i was thinking when he took hurts out for uh young right? oh to
1: yeah that's i guess that's more oh, recent Tua.
0: Yeah, I mean that was a
1: different that was a different kind of quarterback controversy. Okay. That was like which one is gonna be the greatest college quarterback of all time?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And and now you look at the NFL passer data and they're both they're both having pretty healthy careers. So this yeah, one is exactly. this one's different, but you know, again I don't
1: think we're gonna be looking at the NFL in a couple of years saying like, you know, who would you rather have on your Pro Bowl roster, Buckner or Milro? That quarterback.
0: I think it's a different situation for sure. NCAA moved to mid-season transfers, Doug, so they could but, get something there next week. As a long-time follower of Alabama
1: football, who's usually pulling for the wheels to fall off because I'm from Alabama and it's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I and I'm a Georgia fan, I will say that That situation is, I I think it's one where if the media has overhyped the Colorado team in one direction, I think they've overhyped the Alabama team in another. It's not that they've played well, it's the fact that they should be favored in every game on their schedule. And even if they were to lose one, their loss right now to Texas, that's not an SEC loss. So, Alabama, you can foresee a situation where Alabama maybe, let's say they lose to Ole Miss or they lose to Auburn. Let's say they go, but Auburn loses three games. In the SEC or two games in the SEC. You know, you could have a two loss Alabama on an SEC championship. Ultimately, like, if they win that one, they're probably in the playoff. And yeah. so they've, they've, You're they right. control their own destiny as much right. as like everyone's riding them off. They control their own destiny in the most talented team of football. All they have to do is not like throw the ball straight to the defense four times two a game. Loss,
0: two, loss Oklahoma, two loss Alabama team winning the national championship would surprise, Can't you just see exactly, it? would surprise no one, right? Exactly no one. Yeah,
1: but I'm just like, I, I think it would surprise some people right now. I think they're like yeah. being totally written off.
0: And I'm just looking okay. at it like, I don't know. I feel like we've been here before. Yeah, it would surprise the naive amongst us, right? Not sure. the people who follow college It
1: would surprise the people who think Colorado is going to win it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, Doug, besides all that, the big game. I, and look, I don't even know. Allegedly, the big game this week is Notre Dame-Ohio State. <sighs> doesn't get me excited. I, I'm going to be honest with you. It's like I doesn't doesn't really wow me. You know, in, in terms of the way college football works, you know, Ohio State's destiny is not determined by an out-of-conference game against Ohio State. It's determined against playing Michigan and whatever sacrificial lamb, the Big Ten West. Penn State. You know, th- well, they're in the East. So, yeah, Penn State and Michigan and then yep. rolling over Iowa or Wisconsin to, to get <laughs> right. to the top. Um, yeah. Um, Great brand names, great brand names, but, you know, not – well, and again, it's a little unfair. Great great brand names, but not typically – at least the Irish, you know, not a major player in determining national championships the last – in the current era.
1: I think that it might be different this year for Notre Dame because of the fact that – I hope so, Doug. Can you imagine? I mean – I think this year's the year for, like, that. Like, I think USC has a real shot this year. It feels weird to say because last year I thought they were terrible and way overhyped. And this year, week one, I saw them, and I was like, they're way overhyped. And then I watched everyone else play. You know, I watched Alabama. I watched Georgia. I watched all the teams who I thought would wax them. And I'm thinking – I think USC might score every possession against these teams. And so no matter how bad their defense is, they're going to have a shot. But I think it's the year where Notre Dame has a legitimate shot. And I think it is an interesting game because I do think it'll be telling us. I think they're pretty much eliminated if they lose this game because of their schedule.
0: You mentioned USC, and then I want to move to pro football. Yeah. Caleb Williams has, I think, the most – public NIL deals out there in terms of like his his deal with Wendy's I I can't I mean maybe going to who's the the Clemson quarterback the name I can't say DJ DJ you know his Dr. Pepper ad but -hmm. you know Dr. Pepper was always sort of like tied so directly into college football Caleb Williams seems to be Wendy's key spokesman at the moment and I don't know that we've actually seen that in the NIL era yeah, I think DJU
1: is the closest we've seen. I mean, I'm still getting ads for like real estate firms with Brock Bowers. And I think the majority <laughs> of NIL deals is stuff like that. And so, yeah. but Caleb Williams, I think, I think it was his father who came out and said, he's making so much money that they're pretty indifferent about coming back for another year, or going to the NFL, It'll just depend on the, the situation. Who's going to have the number one pick, you know, assuming he's going to be that guy. And it, it certainly looks like he will be. So it could be the first, like, I'll potential you, number one pick in a long time to come back to college.
0: Here's a look ahead. Chicago Bears now a, a year from now, you know, debating Justin Fields versus Caleb Williams.
1: They're 0-2. There's a handful of 0-2 teams with young quarterbacks, and they're certainly one of them. So I think that I could foresee that. And was Chicago not in the same situation this
0: last year with Bryce Young? Exactly. Exactly. Well, okay. So moving off college football to pro football <clears throat> the other thing about the media universe that i want to mention a lot of pat mcafee you know espn is putting that guy center stage
1: they replaced you know? david pollock with him on game day and i wasn't thrilled about
0: that okay as i'm watching mcafee and you know mcafee you know so sort of came out of came out of nowhere to a lot of people, but those are people that don't, I think, understand the new media environment. You know, I think he spent, you know, he he sort of came up from where people are coming up from now. He didn't come up from... Podcasting? Yeah, podcast. He didn't come up from local media. As I'm watching him, and again, you know, I kept thinking, I I keep finding myself thinking ESPN has completely gone crazy. And and so follow me with a second. So, you know, The economics of ESPN were that, you know, there were, let's say there were roughly a hundred million cable subscribers and being a cable subscriber meant that you were a subscriber to ESPN, Mm -hmm. right? And that you were paying them eight or $9 a month. So Mm -hmm. ESPN had $800 million to play around with, to hire talent, to get rights, fees, et cetera. Now let's say we're down to 70 million cable subscribers. might be less than that. Let's say it's 60 million. And so those $8 a month are now, you know, $480 million. Mm-hmm. And so ESPN has been hemorrhaging talent, right? Every year it seems like they cut a bunch of they cut they cut a bunch of their ESPN A listers. Mm-hmm. But they went out and they hired McAfee for $85 million for a five year deal. Okay. Which I think makes him either, I don't know how much Stephen A makes, but he's either one or two at ESPN. And as I'm watching him, like, I don't think there's anything, this is not a criticism of the guy at all. I love his show in a, in a weird way, because I think he has microphones on eight people during the show. And one of the guys has a mullet. But to me, McAfee is just a throwback to sort of this irreverent sports journalism of the past, right? There's nothing woke about McAfee, or there's very limited woke compared to a lot of what the personalities put out there. And so McAfee is almost sort of this, you know, ESPN spent really big dollars to go back to how they used to, to the segment they used to market 15 or 20 years ago. Like Mm -hmm. they've had, had to break open the bank to go back to something they were absolute experts in doing 15 years ago.
1: Yeah. It felt like just out of character for Disney and ESPN, this version of ESPN, this modern day ESPN, particularly with some of the people they let go or or have fired in recent years and my personal take has always been that pat mcafee is the counter to barstool sports which i think espn views as a threat for a segment of their audience bro and i think yeah yeah except bro culture as you call it (laughs) barstool of course making a huge dent in the podcasting world so much so that they had a show that was acquired by ESPN shut down after one episode because uh, they didn't have any control over the language and the the tone and you know the the political correctness or lack thereof and so bringing in a guy like Pat McAfee who is like he's got some of that flavor that kind of barstool flavor, but he seems a little bit, right? Yeah. He, he seems, it seems like he's agreed to, and they, they have a mutual understanding in which he, you know, he's that flavor, but he doesn't, he doesn't go off the rails. You know, he's controlled. He's, he's, and he's controllable for them, I think. And so unlike the, the barstool guys that they brought in. And so I I, that's personally my take. My take is that it's a counter to, the growing audience and, and the kind of departure of people who watch ESPN every morning to listen to part of my take every morning or listening to whatever Dave Portnoy, you know, programming they can when they used to be listening to Scott and Pell yeah. and so or, or Stuart Scott. And so, uh, again, that's my impression of it that has been for a while, even with kind of like the Manning cast. Again, a controlled, like bro culture version of like consuming sports. And so, that know. again, that, my impression I personally love the Manning cast. I'm not as big a fan of Pat McAfee, but nonetheless, again, nothing personal if against him really or anything. It's just not my cup the, of tea. The dad joke, like, the I mean, no one better at the dad jokes than Peyton Manning, right? I feel like I could be on that. You know, I feel like the fourth Manning brother without the NFL career. (laughs) And so when I watch them, I feel right at home. And I think that's the idea. And I think that that's like with Pat McAfee, it makes a lot of people who, who, you know, feel similar to him feel right at home watching the games.
0: Okay. And so continuing on this, as I was watching ESPN, it's Monday morning, a prediction that I, I want to clarify something too. But last week, I I mentioned that I thought that the media might start to turn on Justin Fields. About half the talking heads on ESPN have started to express some doubts about Justin Fields, and and so you you know after you know as you follow this stuff, you almost get a sense for when the narratives are about to about to turn. You know, everyone's got sort of now one foot in 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 each camp in terms of Fields. The other thing I wanted to clarify was <clears throat> I said last week that the running quarterbacks are tough for analytics. I really should have added like one other word to that, a couple of other words to that, that the running quarterbacks are really tough to evaluate using publicly available analytics, you know, publicly available data. Because I noticed that ESPN has also started to talk about things like the percentage of fields throws that are to the sticks and the completion rates for how much time he has in the pocket. And, and I think that's kind of the, the point that to evaluate the running quarterbacks, you really need much, much more de- detail level data than you're going to have available unless you're working for a massive organization. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Doug, but back in the day, I used to do some work with the soccer team here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I've seen some of the files they have in terms of soccer data. <clears throat> you will see Excel spreadsheets with tens of thousands of rows in it. And what they do is they describe sort of every interaction with the ball. So every time the ball moves, maybe there's four or five data points describing what's happening. You know, what players were there, what they did, who was dribbling the ball, who was tackling the ball. Now you could do the same thing with an NFL game. You think about tens of thousands of observations in terms of what's happening at every moment near the ball – But then even think about how complex it gets, right, where you might also want to have data on what's happening with all the players that are off the ball, right? Right. Second-by-second data on what this receiver was doing, how far the defenders were, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it's definitely possible. But I'm just saying the analytics of the running quarterback in terms of the reads they're making, even the plays that are being called for them, takes it to a level that, you're not going to be able to execute You know, sitting in your basement or sitting in your kitchen table pulling data off the web.
1: Pulling up yards and completion percentages yeah. and that kind of thing. I, I was watching, I'm trying to think what game it was. I guess it was Alabama, USF, RG3 on the broadcast. And he mentioned a point about running quarterbacks that we didn't touch on last week that I thought I would add to that conversation. And it's that one thing people don't take into consideration with running quarterbacks is that when they do go for a big run, it's not like when a wide receiver has a, you know, a 60-yard bomb that they catch and they're winded and they go off to the sideline. The quarterback, you know, say Justin Fields runs for 70 yards and takes it down to the 10. He's still the quarterback the next couple of plays. And oftentimes, and this is RG3 talking saying, you know, we get winded, and when you when the coach calls a passing play the next play, You're very unlikely to complete that pass. Like it, it affects the you know being winded and and being worn out, like how a running back or a receiver would be when they're typically going off the field and they're being required to drop back and read a defense and throw the football. When you're puffing and puffing, it is far more likely to be an incompletion than when you put. A traditional pocket passer back there who's never running like that
0: that's a good one and i wrote down yeah. load management of the road running quarterback on the on the side of my desk here because i want to come back to load management as we conclude today but you know even look it, it, and i mean it, and i think when you start to think through it, it is layers and layers i mean the different types of calls you likely make for mm-hmm. a running quarterback Right. I mean, you know, are they calling the same? If you're the offensive coordinator and you have Justin Fields, are you calling the same plays that you are for Peyton Manning? You know, obviously. Well,
1: that was the strategy when Fields was at the University of Georgia and it didn't work well. And so he went to Ohio State yeah. and they called, you know, very different plays for him and, and it, it went spectacularly well. And so the criticism was on that Georgia staff. But but on the flip side of that, you know, when you're calling a different set of plays, does, how does it affect the entire offense and the success of the team overall?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, Doug, so Chicago Bears struggling. <sighs> Chicago Bears struggling mightily. I mean, very, I can tell you from firsthand interactions with Bears fans, that's a very unhappy fan base. <clears throat> As pro football has started to roll out, I don't know. Yeah, Dallas Cowboys are the uh, early leaders in terms yep. of making their fans happy. Uh, I think it's where they scored seventy to ten in the first two games, decimated. Granted,
1: against the two New York teams, one yeah. w- of which without their starting quarterback.
0: <laughs> but it, yeah, uh, the, but the defense looks good. It's you know, if there's an early leader in terms of Super Bowl hype, now, God, if I'm a Dallas fan, Doug, you know what? I don't want to be the early leader in terms of. No, that's
1: that's the, they're terrified right now. Uh,
0: I I don't know. I think the
1: 49ers are up there too, in terms of the hype they're getting right now, Uh, which uh, we love to see Brock Purdy succeed.
0: Okay. I mean, so what else is kind of, what else is kind of, and again, we got, we're two games in. So it's like, all all we're really doing, I think at this point is kind of hot takes. If you look at some of the, you know, I tend to focus on QBs. If you look at some of the QB numbers, well, I mean, let's just let's just sort this and see what we got. You know, we have two Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford leading the league in and yards thrown. If we switch it around and we go to interceptions, we got Zach Wilson, Ryan Tannehill, Daniel Jones, Jimmy G, Josh Allen, Justin Fields, sort of at the, you know, sort of the, the leading the league in terms of the bottom side of this. But again, two games in. Well, maybe the biggest quarterback story is Joe Burrow seems right potentially still injured or just off his game a little bit,
1: yeah. And I think that I mentioned last week some of the big contract QBs having a rough start, Joe Burrow, of course, being one of them, Daniel Jones being another. Jones had a little bit of a bounce back week too with the Giants winning over the pretty bad Cardinals team, in my opinion, but. Yeah, I think the what's really noteworthy to me is like the number of teams that are zero and 2 and especially the number of teams that are typical or that you know had some kind of expectations. The New England Patriots zero and 2 the Denver Broncos, you know Russell Wilson, they get them a new offensive coordinator, a new coach, expecting things to turn around. They start off zero and 2 with a loss to the Commanders. That's like two losses in and of itself. It seems like. The The Texans, you know, with which isn't shocking to me, but with the CJ Stroud hype, he didn't have a terrible game this last week. But nonetheless, you know, young quarterback struggling, obviously, J- Justin Fields, Justin Herbert, 0 2, you know, with a, a close loss to the Titans. So, Chargers are another team that feels like it's their time to turn the corner and start off the season back against the wall. You Bingles know, with, with Burrow. I mean, it's like you go down the league. To be 500 with a young quarterback right now is probably
0: pretty good. If you think about like the Falcons or you just mentioned one of the games that I got circled for the or one of the players that I got circled coming up this week, and that's the Chargers versus the Vikings. So suddenly both are o-
1: both are 0 and 2,
0: and so suddenly that seems like a really significant game for a couple of these quarterbacks. You know, 0 and 3 for, again, what I mean, I, I can't even, Doug, I can't even keep it straight anymore in terms of the, you know, who is the highest paid. Highest paid. I think I it is Herbert. Burrow. Well, Burrow,
1: or, Burrow now. It was Herbert for like a couple weeks.
0: Yeah, it, because it frankly, it just seems like it's whoever signed the the deal the last. But, you know, Herbert versus Cousins, God, that's an interesting quarterback deal, right? Because Herbert is out there as, again, one of the next great gunslingers. Mm -hmm. Because you're saying 0-2 for the Chargers. Cousins is probably looking for probably, I think, contract four relatively soon. You know, what kind of hype does Cousins have moving forward? I mean, it's a little bit off topic, but does Cousins go out there and now get another, get a $250 million deal when his contract is up?
1: I, 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 he's gonna demand a lot i think if he plays you know if if he averages out anywhere to to like last season last season kirk cousins was considered by many to be the mvp of the league and they go out and lose that first playoff game and it's like it kind of it's like a lot of years lamar jackson's had where it's like people don't really care or don't value you unless you get it done in the playoffs and so course you got to get there first and that's where the vikings have their backs against the wall right now watching the vikings last week didn't seem like a kirk cousins problem they turned the ball over whenever they could i'm talking yeah. fumbles left and right <laughs> just okay. just uh, abysmal and, and very frustrating for vikings fans well, no, and so, let me give you a
0: kirk cousins line on the season because it's really yeah. pretty astonishing He's yep. second in the league in yards He's leading the league in touchdowns with 6. He only has one interception. You tell me that and I think the Vikings should be 2
1: and 0. And you also think the Vikings should definitely lock him in again. Yeah, financially. So, statistically, he almost it's like he reminds me of Philip Rivers where he's always really really good and his team isn't quite getting it done and whether or not it's his fault. Like if you'd put Rivers on those he was in that same draft class as Manning and uh, Roethlisberger, as we all know. If you put him on those Steelers teams, would they have won Super Bowls? And would Roethlisberger have been a really good quarterback that never did anything in, in
0: San Diego? I have uh, no idea. I used to think the answer to that was yes. But given how Pittsburgh has performed since Big Ben left, I start to think the answer might have been no, that Ben might have actually been the, the key to that. Uh, well, what
1: about uh, what about Rivers, Rivers and Manning? You know, put Philip in New York and Eli in San Diego. I kind of yeah. think you. I think you might have won a Super Bowl in there.
0: Yeah, I do too. I mean, I, I'm kind of yeah. kind of with you that it seems like some a lot of this ends up being like. In some ways, we see this all the time, right? If you put Philip Rivers in Dallas, you know he's one of the biggest names in of, of the last generation. Right. Yeah. So I mean,
1: Cousins. Like I said, I don't feel like it's his performance that's costing the vikings and yeah i think he'll demand a lot of money if he stays healthy and just keeps doing what he's doing regardless of their postseason success
0: so doug i I don't know we can we can take the conversation where you wherever you want to go i mean like i said it's two weeks in i you know i find myself fixated again you know as usual on some of the classes of quarterbacks like i said two games in so i don't know how many conclusions we reach the the current group is struggling obviously a little bit as always yeah is the data in, is the verdict in on the Trevor Lawrence class? That this was actually, this most hyped class in a long time is actually just a bust. Or just like
1: another class with one really good quarterback and a couple really of guys. One really
0: good guy and maybe one journeyman. Yeah, like,
1: I I know it sounds crazy. I think yeah. there are a lot of people that still are holding out hope for Justin Fields.
0: Oh, hope, hope, you know. Yes. He's
1: not yet in that like Trey Lance category of people have given up hope. And maybe it's because he stayed healthy and he's Mm -hmm. had the thing with, with fields. And like last week you were talking about how the media is going to take a turn on him. He's also always one game away from playing like the best game, any quarterbacks ever played or having the best highlight anyone's ever seen.
0: Okay. So again, fields is in some ways he's actually my favorite player in the league, right? Because He's the most interesting guy in terms of media coverage because I'm with you there's something about it where you kind of go yeah but you know what he's going to you know he's going to take off and run for 70 yards or he's going to rush for 150 yards he's got you know he's got an amazing arm you know he, there's some there's parts of it that just make it hard to it's hard to believe the data but Fields is in terms of NFL passer rating right now is ranked 26th in the league in terms of ESPN's QBR. He is ranked 31st in the league Oof. in terms of yards. You know, he is ranked hard to find these d- names sometimes without the reading glasses. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's kind of, you know, a guy with reading glasses should be wearing sleeves. Right. Doug?
1: Not this guy. <laughs> Not if he's tenured.
0: Oh god, where is he? Where's Justin Fields here? So he's 16th in terms of yards thrown in terms of touchdowns. Oh, I mean a bunch of guys tied for two. So Doug, I mean look, I read off those numbers, particularly the the advanced stats, the passer stat and the and the QBR, would they take all these numbers and sort of put them together and give you a single single answer? Five and 20 before the start of the season, I think, and five and 22 now. Why do we not give up hope?
1: I don't know. Like, I think if you had a pocket passer with the same numbers, I think Trevor Lawrence, if he were putting up the same numbers right now, that we would have given up hope. And with Fields, for whatever reason, because he is such a guaranteed threat running the football. That it's like, all we need to fix is just one, you know, we just need a little, he needs an extra second in the pocket maybe, or he needs, you know, a, one elite receiver on his team, or he, there's always been one, he needs a good offensive coordinator, there's always been one more thing that he needs in order to succeed. Whereas with a pocket passer, it's like, okay, this is all you've got. So I think that that certainly plays a part in it. But I think you're right. I mean, you look at that, it's been consistent over two seasons going into this year obviously off to a bad start this year and that's where the Bears fans or the fields defenders would be saying hey it's only two games but it's like well is it only two games when this has happened this is consistent with what we've seen for two seasons as well and so I think by the end of this year year three is like the year where you find out the verdict whether the team starts building around a player or starts thinking about (laughs) replacing a player and I think this is the year and if if things don't turn around for fields this year, I think that the Bears, you know, if they have that number one pick, I think they use it straight up. So yeah, that's, that's my take.
0: And the, the downside to that for the Bears fans will be that any value that they could have gotten out of fields will be long gone. And, you know, I think the thing that will always – the thing that makes it extra depressing in Chicago is, I mean, the you know, the Packers lost and Jordan Love had a, you know, comically bad – you know what was it a situation and sort of tripping over his center, but Jordan Love has put up some very nice numbers so far in the season and looks to be a legitimate again two day two game hot take looks to be a very legitimate future prospect. So a lot of unhappiness in Chicago.
1: Yeah, and part of me wonders like if you took a player like Fields and gave him the Justin the yeah two the years Jordan part. the Jordan Love treatment, if he would be a significantly better player at this point in his career we'll uh-huh. never know but like would mahomes have fizzled out early had he started day one in the nfl or would yeah, of course we'll never know these things aaron Rodgers, would he have gotten <laughs> would he have been broken beyond repair by the time he entered year three or four again aaron, we'll ever know he, is, Rodgers,
0: he might be now though aaron Rodgers, no the other guys maybe <laughs> <laughs> he he does aaron Rodgers make a comeback mike Aaron Rodgers says he's going to come back for the playoffs. So what if the Jets aren't in the playoffs? Like, you know, I'm a believer in Aaron you Rodgers. You should
1: sign with like the 49ers or something. <laughs> Demand a trade while he's got an Achilles tear.
0: Okay, Doug, before I move on to non-football stories, sort of briefly, anything you're looking ahead to in terms of this week's games? I mean, we mentioned
1: the college games, that Alabama Ole Miss game, like I said, I think for that narrative is going to be pivotal, as is the Colorado-Oregon game, as is you know Notre Dame. If they lose, they're written off. If they win, they're a top four team. They're almost like destined for the playoffs in the minds of the media. So college football, I think it is like a big week where we have – for the first time where we have several game-changing games. The NFL, you know, every week – you could just go through the schedule and it's like every, there's a story in every game. The NFL always wins as you say. I'm looking at the schedule right now. Yeah, I think that Chargers Vikings game is going to mm-hmm. be pivotal. I think that, you know, looking across some of these others uh, Chiefs uh, Chiefs Bears, I think that a win for if Fields could play that one game uh, of his life at Arrowhead for the Bears, you know, it's like that would
0: that would give him a pass for like five bad games moving forward. Doesn't this look like a bad situation for Fields, though? Oh, yeah. He's got to pull out this victory against Mahomes.
1: Yeah, not a great... And, and Arrowhead as well. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Jones- and, versus the Rams on Monday night. I, again, when's this going to kick back in? Or what's the next... And what's if I
1: remember to- correctly, Burrow got off to a slow start last year. So, I, I just expect regression to, a mean, to the mean with guys like him. If I'm a fantasy owner that doesn't have Burrow, I'm trading you know, a pretty low value for him right now to see if I can get him while while the price is low and see if he does what he does.
0: Okay, Doug. So beyond football, a couple other things. So you mentioned sort of the issue of load management for the running quarterbacks came up and it's a, it's an interesting idea, right? Have, you know, put another guy in, let the player, let the running quarterback rest for 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 a down or two. Okay. We had a Spectacular, and then again, you know, we will never know the truth of any of these situations. But Miami Inter or something—I don't know what these soccer team names are confusing. Inter Miami, (laughs) Miami, yeah. Uh, You know, pink. I mean, you're a uniform guy. What do you think of the pink Inter Miami uniforms?
1: We're talking about a sport where guys are (laughs) constantly faking injuries, so I really don't have a problem with it. I think it's on brand.
0: Okay, so. Inter Miami is playing the Atlanta United and they open the entire stadium. So the United usually sort of black curtains off the top, the top level. So about 50,000 seats for sale. So, so they're it selling, feels
1: full yeah, when it's not.
0: Yeah. So they're selling 70,000 tickets. Some tickets were going for five, six, some reports of a couple thousand dollars to see messy. Apparently he revealed that he was not going to play by showing a slice of pizza so he was apparently sitting around his home eating delivery pizza while folks had paid $2,000 to see him. And there was one report that a guy was disappointed because when he tried to sell his tickets when Messi wasn't going to play, his best offer was something like
1: $40. Yeah, and <laughs> that's a tough one. I think it's like I, Vanessa Bryant after Kobe passed came out and said, you know, she asked him about load management and why he pushed himself so much late in his career. And he said, there's people that come to the games that are there for me and that they paid their hard earned money to watch me play basketball. And I, so that's, that's one perspective. And the other perspective is just focusing on your career and, and taking care of your body, which of course the NBA has prioritized in recent years. And now it seems like there may be some rule changes to counter that. And, I mean, as a sports fan, buying tickets to a game, you're always taking a risk, whether it's injury in this case, but also I've seen, I've, I remember going to the Georgia, Alabama blackout game and a family friend paid $500 to be there. And it was 31 and nothing at halftime Alabama. So he, he, and this was a college kid. So he spent, you know, his hard earned money to go watch his team get waxed. And it's like, oh, this was a scam. I want to, I went to a Giants Falcons game one time. My parents got it for my birth or for Christmas to, for me to go to the game. And this was, I was in high school. And I remember afterwards, my mom was like, I want to write a letter to the giants organization asking for our money back. Uh, And so again, with sports, there's always this, like you're kind of gambling just by buying a ticket to something. You're gambling that the player is going to be healthy. You're gambling that it's going to be a good experience and not a traumatic or or miserable experience.
0: This one worse because of the nature of the deal and it's clearly for one player, right? Yeah. I, mean,
1: th- this I means- mean, yeah, it's not great. It's not great. I wouldn't be thrilled about it, but I also wouldn't spend thousands of dollars. to watch. Yeah. I've never done that for a single player ever. Like, <clears throat> it, even if it was like Kobe or LeBron or somebody. like
0: no, so th- To me, this feels like it's just designed to torment fans at this point.
1: I think right? it's bad for the leagues. Like for the NBA, for example, if I wanted to go see say I live in Atlanta and I want to see LeBron before he retires. And when the Lakers come to town, I want to make sure I have tickets. And so I probably wouldn't buy them until the day or night of the game and check the injury reports. <laughs> and there's prob, and then something might come up where, you know, you know I end like, up not going or I don't feel like going. But if I kn-
0: that the, uh, if I Le- knew
1: that he was going to show up and play, I would buy the tickets before the season to guarantee that I have a seat in the building and that I have a good seat. And so I think that's what's, I, I think that's the challenge for the leagues. And I think that's why the NBA is, is taking steps to uh, kind of discourage abuse of their allowance for players to take care of their injuries.
0: Last one. WNBA playoffs. Okay, Doug, I I think Doug's going to struggle with this one because I like The WNBA has almost – like this WNBA season strikes me as the best example of a league trying to engage in marketing to get an outcome, right? So suddenly the WNBA moved to this idea of super teams. So if you're not following the WNBA, the WNBA basically had a situation where you know, as happens in the NBA, suddenly there's a super team in the Brooklyn Nets and there's a super team with the LA Clippers. And they've engineered this to, and again, and I got to be careful of this, right? I don't know if they've engineered it, but somehow fell into their path of having the New York Liberty, who now I'm suddenly seeing all these Nike ads for a woman named Sabrina, who used to play grown men for Slurpee Money, taking on, you know, headed for a, a battle with the Las Vegas aces who has a million dollar coach that used to coach for san antonio strikes me as a straight out exercise in marketing to replicate the nba playbook build out their superstars and their super teams and see if they can generate fan interest that way
1: i haven't looked at ratings or numbers and I know they're never particularly great for the WNBA, but I will say when I've been watching like SportsCenter and they flip to the New York Liberty highlights, for example, at least the lower decks packed out. Because when I see, I'm like, I'm like, wait, is that a, I mean, it seems like they have a lot of fans on television, at least local fans. And so I don't know that I'd seen that before for women's professional basketball, packed out arenas, people swinging towels around, you know, so it looked like an NBA playoff atmosphere for a WNBA game. And so this might be a winning strategy. Sabrina Iesco is like Steph Curry or what, the girl Steph Curry or whatever. And I think, like, I think that's going to be the playbook with Caitlin Clark.
0: Oh, and Angel you know, Reese, right? They, that's and, like, yeah, this is yeah, going be- I don't know if, okay. Doesn't it seem like they're trying to, they, they're, they really want to set up a Magic versus Larry with those two?
1: I think so. And I think like, You know, Aja Wilson is a name you hear a lot. And I heard since she was in college that she played at South Carolina. But for the Aces, they talk about her like, you know, she could be the Michael Jordan. She could be. So there there are those parallels to the NBA. But like I said, without looking at numbers, just my observation, like seeing highlights from the game and seeing like, oh, that looks like a very excited group of a lot of people excited about a team I didn't know about before this year.
0: This is, and again, and I'll say this, and then we'll sort of wrap it up for today. One of the challenges with all this stuff and why I sort of bring up this idea of the super team, and it looks like an interesting marketing approach, and maybe with a couple of ultra-hype stars coming out in the next year or two, you bring up that, you know, we don't know what the numbers look like. I don't know that the numbers mean anything anymore, Doug. Because, you know, attendance numbers are perilous, Right. The NFL owners will fight with each other about, you know, that the Dallas Cowboys are inflating their attendance numbers. Right. So tickets distributed versus butts and seats will be an, an age old thing. Social media impressions is another one that people will toss around a lot now. But if the WNBA's highlights are all now being sort of co-promoted by ESPN and the NBA, yep. then suddenly those numbers don't mean anything. I've seen numbers that suggest that the WNBA is doing great in terms of overall revenues now. But if suddenly because of ESG policies a lot of sponsorship dollars are now flowing to the WNBA, the revenue numbers don't really mean a lot. So we are in some ways in a very strange circumstance in terms of in terms of women's sports.
1: Yeah, and with like, you know, the WNBA included in the 2K series video game, yeah. uh, you could say you know, they sold this many, they sold just as many video games as the NBA this year. I mean, it's the same game. So it, it's End it up. They difficult be to, to, to that, right? Right. It's different. It's always been a tough league to evaluate like where it really stands for me. Like I said, I hadn't, it was the first time I had seen like what looks like a packed out crowd of people who didn't look like they were forced to be there, you know, swinging towels and high fiving and. Enjoy. And so it's like that's got to bring some hope. And I would say the whole super team approach to me typically like in the NBA, I think there's like pros and cons to it for the league where, yeah, it's great for Los Angeles or it's great for Miami or it's great for whatever team, you know, Boston, whoever has the super team. But for Indiana and for Oklahoma City and for <laughs> the rest of the league, it's a huge bummer because your team's pretty much not going to have a fair shot and yeah. the difference with the WNBA is I don't think they had that passion or, or that chance of passion and some of the you know, they only have so many teams first off but then it's like they didn't have as much to lose losing the New York Knicks fandom is a pretty big deal in the NBA but losing the you know some team that's not going to be competitive in the WNBA the I don't I'm trying to, the, the Lynx or Game something or the yeah Washington. the Atlanta Dream Yeah, them not having a real shot, but having the Aces and the Liberty be somewhat household names in the sense that people are familiar with them from their amount of representation on ESPN is probably a win for that
0: league. Okay, we'll wrap it here. So as always, more content at fandomanalytics.com. Back next week.